This is the Tao of Christ, and I am Marshall Davis. In this episode, I will be reading Chapter 3 from my book, Experiencing God Directly, The Way of Christian Non-Duality. Chapter 3, Self-Inquiry Know Thyself was the Greek inscription that greeted ancient pilgrims at the entrance to the temple at Delphi. This admonition is the most basic expression of the spiritual search. Even before one can seek God, one must know who it is who seeks God. When one knows oneself, everything else becomes clearer. Discovery of our true nature opens our eyes to the true nature of God in the world. The psalmist mused, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Psalm 8.4 Historically, the answer given to that question by Christianity has been that humans are physical beings made by a creator. We are creatures composed of a mortal body and an immortal soul. That dualism is what most Christians believe, but that is not what the Christian scriptures teach. This body-soul division came from Greek philosophy which was baptized into Christianity very early in the history of the church. The Hebrew and Christian scriptures teach that man is one. Like God, humans are understood as Trinity, three in one. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless as 1 Thessalonians 5.23. In New Testament Christianity, a human being is an integrated whole, composed of physical body, personal soul, and eternal spirit. The creation story in the book of Genesis describes the tripartite origin of man. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, Genesis 2.7. Humans have bodies formed from the elements of the earth. The Hebrew word for man is that is the masculine form of the word for earth. Etymologically speaking, humans are literally earthlings. We are made from earth, and those earthly elements return to earth at our physical death. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Ecclesiastes says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12.7 The body is temporary. It is born and it dies. Between those temporal endpoints, the body is continually changing. Every part of our bodies is constantly being born and dying. Every cell of our body is replaced every seven years. Physically speaking, we are not the same person we were seven years ago, much less 70 years ago. By the time we reach our 70th year, we have been physically reincarnated ten times. This simple insight into our physical nature reveals that our bodies are not our true nature. Yet we know intuitively that something about us has remained the same throughout the various versions of our physical bodies. The second aspect of the human being is the soul. The conventional idea of the human soul is that it is a spiritual entity inhabiting a physical body and thought to survive the dissolution of the body. 
This concept of an immortal soul within a mortal body was imported into Christian thought from Plato and Aristotle. Plato taught that the soul lived in the body, quote, like an oyster in a shell, end of quote. Although this is now the common understanding of the soul, it is not the biblical view. In biblical thought, a human being does not have a soul, a human being is a soul. In the Genesis account of creation, God breathed the breath of life into the physical body of man and he became a living soul. God's spirit breath, the Hebrew word can be translated as spirit, breath, or wind, acted as a catalyst interacting with earthly elements to form an entirely new entity called the soul. There is no pre-existent or immortal soul in Hebraic or Christian thought. The soul begins at birth. The Greek word for a soul is psyche. The soul is best understood as the psychological self. The popularizer of this biblical understanding was the 20th century Chinese theologian Watchman Nee, an evangelical Christian leader who died in prison at the hands of the communists. In his three-volume work, The Spiritual Man, Need demonstrates that the scriptures teach that the soul has three faculties, intellect, emotion, and volition. These can also be described as mind, heart, and will. The soul is the human personality, sometimes called the ego. It is our sense of being a personal entity. It is our persona. It is what it means to be a person. It is gradually formed during the early years of childhood and dominates our adult lives. We are born with genetic attributes that interact with our environment and develop into a unique self-conscious individual. A child forms a sense of a separate self during the first three years of life. From that time on, we identify ourselves with our psyche. The self is given a name and plays roles in family and society. The self is influenced by life experiences and comes to understand itself as having a personal history. For all practical purposes, we come to believe that we are our self or soul. Nearly everyone identifies themselves by the distinctive manifestations of their self, their thoughts, feelings, desires, and choices. But upon close inspection, it can be seen that this personal self is no more permanent than the body. In fact, it is even less substantial than the body. The self is nothing more than a mental fabrication of the brain, which in turn is simply an organ of the body. Therefore, the self dies when the brain dies with the body. If we are looking for our essential nature, then it is clear that we are not our soul our individual, personal, psychological self, any more than we are our bodies. The third aspect of human being is spirit. In Genesis, the spirit was breathed into the human body to produce the human soul. At death, the body returns to the earth, the soul ceases to exist since it has no real existence apart from the body, and the spirit returns to spirit. The author of Ecclesiastes says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. 
The Spirit is what gives us life. We stay alive as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils, according to Job 27.3. When it is withdrawn, we die. What makes us conscious living beings is spirit. Human beings are spirit at the core. If we are looking for the part of human nature that is permanent, which survives death, then the only viable candidate is spirit. The spirit is not born and does not die. It has no beginning and no end. It comes from God and returns to God. In Genesis, the human spirit is the breath of God. It is what makes us alive. It is the mystery that we call life. This is who we are. We are life. And the gospel says of the eternal Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1.4. Another way of communicating the same truth is to say that we are made in the image of God. This in turn is another way of saying that we are children of God. The Apostle Paul says to the Athenian philosophers, we are his offspring, Acts 17.28. He says to the Roman Christians, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8.14 These ideas are all metaphors to describe that dimension of our being that is one with God. What is man? Most people perceive themselves to be individual selves with physical bodies. In actuality, we are spirit temporarily expressed as psychological, physical beings, as Christian philosopher Pierre Teilhard de Chardin says, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. What is spirit? Physically speaking, it is nothing. It is literally no thing. Spirit has no physical characteristics. Spirit is by definition non-material. It is not matter, neither is it energy. Matter and energy are different physical manifestations of the same thing. Matter turns into energy and energy into matter in an ever-changing dance of duality. If spirit were energy, it could be empirically proven to exist by the scientific method. But it can't. Therefore, it does not exist in the normal way of understanding existence. It is not part of this dualistic universe. Spirit is the word given to that which does not empirically exist, and yet is the foundation of all existence. It is being from which all beings draw their existence. Being beyond the duality of time and space, spirit is eternal. It is the only part of the human being that is eternally real, the Spirit of God formed everything else ex nihilo, out of nothing. God is the no-thing from which everything comes. God is the non-dual reality that was before the birth of this dualistic universe in the Big Bang. God is that in which all things exist. As Paul says of God, in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17.28 the spiritual search is the quest for what is real, and if reality is defined as that which does not change, then the only part of the human being that is real is spirit. Spirit is our true nature. The cross of Christ as the door to the real.
The spiritual quest is to realize through direct experience who we really are and who God really is. As a child, before what Christians would call the fall, we knew this, but we did not know that we knew. We were conscious but not self-conscious, aware but not self-aware. In childhood, humans become lost in the tangle of the psyche. That is the real meaning of original sin. Every human being has eaten the fruit of duality, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Humans have separated themselves from God and from their own true nature. We have believed our own thoughts. Soul reigns in place of spirit. Humans have mistaken their psyches for their real self and consequently remade God in their own image. Man's self pictures God as a supreme personal self. Man's mind imagines God as divine intellect. God is seen as superman. As Rousseau said, God created man in his own image and man, being a gentleman, returned the favor. God made man as spirit and his own image as spirit. But man has mistaken himself to be psyche and reimagined God as a super-psyche. That religious image of God as a big self is no more real than the human psyche it was patterned after. and is nothing more than an idol. Consequently, most theistic worship is little more than idolatry. The worship of man's own persona projected upon the fabric of the universe. Spiritual inquiry is the search to discover our real self and the real God. The Christian gospel says that this discovery of true self and true God is made through Jesus Christ. He is the door into what Christians call salvation, redemption, or freedom. Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. John 8.36 Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. John 10.9 To use Christian terminology, Christ is the mediator between God and man. And Christ is the union of spirit with spirit, human spirit with divine spirit. In Christian theology, that reconciliation of man and God is understood as accomplished through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christian theology has devoted much time to explaining exactly how the execution of a first century preacher accomplished eternal salvation. Most of it is based on the dualistic understanding of man, God, and the world. From a non-dual perspective, the cross takes on a whole new meaning. The cross is seen as the destruction of the body and soul, self, of Jesus, and the survival of the spirit of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul writes, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit, 1 Corinthians 15.45. In the crucifixion, the physical body of Jesus died. The Gospel writers emphasize the fact that Jesus really died. He did not fall unconscious only to be resuscitated later. Jesus did not have a near-death experience. He had a real-death experience. The New Testament and historic Christianity affirm the real physical death of Jesus. The cross is also the death of the self or soul of Jesus. 
The psychological suffering of Jesus' crucifixion is emphasized in the Gospels as much as his physical pain. Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Many Christians struggle with this cry of anguish coming from the lips of their Savior. It seems inconsistent with a life of perfect faith in God. It is assumed that the Son of God should have slipped into heaven in equanimity like the Buddhist sliding calmly into nirvana at his death. But from a non-dual point of view, Jesus' cry of agony makes perfect sense. It is the death cry of the personal self, which perceives itself headed for extinction. The crucifixion of Jesus depicts the death of the self which did not go gentle into that good night. This death of the self of Jesus is as important as the death of the body of Jesus. Once the crucifixion had accomplished its purpose of extinguishing the self, the only thing left for Jesus to do was to surrender his spirit to God. Finally, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. The cross of Jesus is truly the way of salvation, the way of liberation from this earthly life to eternal life. The way of salvation is the death of the self and the release of the spirit. Jesus taught this repeatedly during his ministry for those who had ears to hear. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, his self, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life, the Greek word used is psyche, will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. That's Matthew sixteen twenty four and 5. Elsewhere he said, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke fourteen twenty seven. We die to self in order to live to God. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature, Paul's term for self, with its passions and desires. That's Galatians 5.24 The cross of Christ depicts the physical death of the body and the psychological death of the self. It reveals that these parts of human nature are only temporary and in an ultimate sense unreal. The resurrection of Jesus is the second half of the salvation story in the Gospels. The resurrection illustrates the point that liberation is not a disembodied state. It is not something that is attainable only after the physical death of the body. It is possible to live a spiritual life and still be in the body. Therefore, the Gospels emphasize the physical nature of the resurrection of Jesus. It was the physical body of Jesus, along with the psychological self of Jesus, that was resurrected on the third day. The death and resurrection of Jesus is not just a myth communicating a truth about a spiritual resurrection. The physical nature of the resurrection stresses the fact that one can live a resurrected, spiritually reborn life before physical death, while still having a personal identity as a personal self. Christian salvation is an incarnated spiritual life. The Role of Faith Faith in God and Christ are the hallmarks of Christianity. Indeed, Christianity is often called the Christian faith. 
What is the role of faith in non-dual Christianity? In historic Christianity, faith is chiefly a function of the self, involving one's intellect, emotion, and volition. Faith believes certain intellectual assertions about God, Christ, and Spirit. This is the doctrinal part of Christianity. Faith involves a personal relationship with a personal God. Evangelical Christians speak of having an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the devotional dimension of faith. Faith is making a personal decision to commit one's life to Christ as Lord and Savior. In these ways, the term faith is a function of the personal self, what the Christian scriptures call the soul. All these dimensions of faith are true. But faith is more than a solical, to use Watchmanese term, activity. In a profounder way, faith is a dimension of non-dual awareness. Faith trusts those first glimpses of oneness. Faith trusts Christ and others who describe the reality of this oneness. Faith dies to self in order to live to God. Faith trusts that the death of the self is not the end. It trusts that what appears to be death is actually life. Faith trusts glimpses of oneness with God and is willing to love God with all one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. The vast majority of people ignore oneness. They dismiss it as nothing, which is, ironically, exactly what it is. Faith pays attention to this consciousness, even when its appearance is as tiny as a mustard seed. When attention is paid to oneness, one's awareness of it grows. Faith trusts that the seemingly insignificant mode of perception is real. Faith believes it is true, even though the mind wants to dismiss it. Faith sees beyond the mind, the literal meaning of the Greek word for repentance, metanoia. Faith surrenders to the unknown and unknowable, which is spirit. When one awakens to the oneness of God, the world is seen from a different perspective. This is spiritual sight. It is seeing by faith. As the letter to the Hebrews famously puts it, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 It is seeing that which is invisible. 11.27 One sees with spirit rather than with body or soul. As the Apostle Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 One comprehends the world from the perspective of spirit through the faculties of the spirit. Faith is the human spirit's faculty of apprehending non-dual reality. One sees by faith what cannot be seen with the eyes or understood with the mind. Faith sees directly and immediately. By faith one knows the true nature of reality. Like the soul, the human spirit also has three faculties. According to Watchman Nee's spiritual anthropology, the faculties of the spirit are intuition, conscience, and communion. Faith is operable within each of these faculties. One sees the kingdom of God through intuition. One knows oneness intuitively. One acts instinctively by conscience without referring to an external law of right and wrong. One lives in the spirit and walks in the spirit. 
you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, according to Galatians 5.18. Most importantly, one has communion with the one God. The word communion means union with. When Christians use this word, they are usually referring to a feeling of closeness with the personal God. This personal communion is real for the human soul, but there is a higher or deeper communion. What is true of the spirit does not negate what is true of the soul. It transcends it. Non-dual awareness does not negate dualistic awareness. It includes it and fulfills it. In the same way, Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, Matthew 5.17. The soul knows intimate fellowship with a personal God by the devotional path. The Spirit knows union with the Spirit by the contemplative path. Holy Spirit is one with human spirit. By faith, the Christian dies with Christ, is resurrected with Christ, and spiritually ascends to heaven with Christ to be united with Christ. That is what Brother Lawrence meant when he said, I am assured beyond all doubt that my soul has been with God above these thirty years. The gospel story of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ is not just a record of events that happened 2,000 years ago to an individual named Jesus of Nazareth. It is also the way of the Christian's liberation from mortality and the bondage of the self, what the Apostle Paul calls the old man. We are crucified with Christ and raised with Christ. Baptism symbolizes that transformation. We are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. By faith we are one with Christ, having the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, and sharing the eternal life of Christ. You've been listening to Experiencing God Directly, The Way of Christian Non-Duality. Next time, I will be reading Chapter 4, God Inquiry. You can find my podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can find my blog and a link to my books at marshalldavis.us. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.